Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, how are you doing? Welcome to our conversation today. You know, every time I speak to you, I say this is a special guest. This is a friend. This is someone I admire. But this, these folks are all three. They are friends. They are experts. They're people I admire and wonderful colleagues. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Lynn Friedman-Gell and Dr. Joanne Barron. And these women are expertly trained, and I mean expertly trained, in the treatment of trauma and addiction. They became pioneers in the field by opening Trauma and Beyond Psychological Center, an intensive specialized treatment program specifically for trauma. And as you know, so many of the addicts and partners that we see are struggling with past trauma and certainly with current trauma. I also want to say one thing. They wrote an, a fabulous book that I really want to mention because it's a workbook and it's something you can get your fingers into and actually do the work. And it's called the Intergenerational Trauma Workbook. And I hope that you go out and get it and do some work on this, especially those of you who've already restart, started your recovery journey, because that's where the part is going to be the best. So welcome. Welcome to the two of you. Thank, Thank you, Rob. Oh, you said that at the same time. <laughs> we do that a lot. So actually, I want to ask you that. So you are two women who are in the field, who have, I'm sure, been around each other, worked together, been friends. What made you start a trauma center, just briefly, before we get into other things? Well, I, I want to start, Lynn, and then you can fill in, because both Lynn and I have worked in the addiction field for many, many years, and we both could see trauma underneath addiction. And uh, at the time, years ago, my husband and I owned uh, an addiction treatment program for teenagers, an outpatient program. It was amazing. I remember. Yeah, it was great. It was great work that we got to do. And uh, I had met Lynn and recruited her. And Lynn and I just became fast friends. I admired her work. And we. she's kind of a a nerd like me. We went to every training, every workshop for years and years and years. We started studying trauma together. So Lynn for years had been saying, we have to open a center. We have to open a center. And she finally convinced me to do it. And Lynn, you could talk about your experience. 
Yeah, well, as, as Joanne said, we met, you know, two decades ago or more. And um, when I was the clinical director of, of her treatment program, we, she and I started studying together. We became certified EMDR therapists, attachment focused. We became NARM master therapists. NARM is neuroaffective relational model. And we studied sensory motor psychotherapy and we study right brain psychotherapy with Alan Shore. And we just learned more and more. And, and there was just this sense of how many clients suffer from all of this kind of developmental trauma and they don't even know it. And there's no place for them to go. There's no place that's blending this model that we created uh, really with these long individual sessions, like 90 minutes, combined with the, uh, the group therapy experience. And there's so much to be gained from that duality. And so I just, I just felt like we could be doing more than each of us could do individually, that the combination of us was exponentially so much more. And so eventually she did agree to start our treatment program and we've been able to help so many clients uh, working with this deep level developmental complex trauma, many of whom end up using drugs and alcohol and other ways trying to cope with their trauma, different strategies to try to protect themselves from all the pain. So... I have a question for you then, and I'm going to go back to basics because I don't know. I, I get asked things like this a lot, and you guys are the experts. What is trauma? I think it's defined as an overwhelming experience that causes someone to feel that their life or the life of someone they love is in danger or they witness something like that. And so when most people think about trauma, they think about a car accident, a natural... Yeah, a car crash or an earthquake. That's what I think about. Right, right, right. Um, those kinds of really big experiences that happen. And that, that is trauma and can cause PTSD. But what people often don't think about is the kind of trauma that an infant or a child experiences when they do not feel safe, when they are in terror because the adults around them are either you know mentally ill or addicted or just absent just maybe physically present but emotionally absent and for a infant or young child that is terror well i think they end up saying something like what's wrong with me that i'm getting this why, why am I getting hit? Why am I getting ignored? Why, why are they all over me all the time? I think what you're talking about is children come to accept that as just a norm. And, you know, people just hit people. People just rage at each other. People just – and I think what you're talking about, I could be wrong, is bringing, making people aware that what happened to them is affecting how they're living today. Do I have that right? Exactly. Yeah, really affects their sense of safety internally inside their own body, inside their own mind, and affects their sense of safety in relationships with mm -hmm. others. They learn to have certain expectations, mm -hmm. and often, right, those expectations are going to be based on the relationship with the primary caregivers. 
Uh, so I want to I want to stop and just say something about that. So I had someone I saw recently who was living with a very difficult alcoholic man. And she said, you know, my, my father was alcoholic and I grew up in a difficult environment. And I think that I learned to tolerate these difficult circumstances. She said, you know, I think a healthier woman would have said, I don't want to be with this guy. But because of how she grew up and learning to that that's the way the world was, that she didn't look out for the signs and signals that someone else might have looked for because of her trauma. Is that what you're talking about? Well, that's exactly right. Our earliest relationships set up a template of mm -hmm. what we are going to expect in the world. And so we do develop a tolerance for behavior that someone who had not grown up in an abusive environment would run away from. But our template tells us that this is love. This is normal. Our level of safety, we've, or if we've never known safety, we don't even know what that feels like. And in fact, a relationship that doesn't have that kind of high intensity or drama would not feel right at all. And would you say, either one of you, that it is either the addictions or a profound challenge with relationships that bring most people in? Yeah, yeah. Most people end up coming into intensive treatment and individual therapy as well, but usually because of many failed relationships. Uh, often it's a recent breakup or an inability to create healthy friendships or any friendship sometimes, uh, and also addiction, yes, which again is, is one of the ways that we can try to protect ourselves from feeling the pain of the trauma and the shame of the trauma, as you were talking about, Rob, those, those children, you know, who end up being criticized and blamed and never feel good enough and never feel lovable. The shame that, that roots in that development is just so debilitating. Sometimes people will come with us to us with very high levels of depression. Mm -hmm. And depression underneath the depression is often always some kind of traumatic experiences. Sometimes we call them little T trauma because it's over and over and over and over repetitive enactments of uh, emotional abandonment or emotional abuse, neglect. So they don't even realize that, that they've had a traumatic experience. And that word can sometimes scare people off because, again, it, it doesn't fit with their sense of their own life experience. Well, that's interesting because I have run many groups and obviously in doing addiction work, well, not obviously, but I agree with you that we see a lot of trauma survivors who've taken the addiction on as a way to cope with the past. But, but what, I don't, what a lot of people will say to me is, well, you know, traumas, I didn't have trauma. I mean, you know, I was, be, I was hit when I did the wrong thing. I got yelled at when I was making mistakes. You know, my dad did a good job of keeping me in line, you know, sometimes hitting me, sometimes screaming at me. But, I, you know, that's what I needed to be a good kid. And they, in fact, may hit their own children. Or what, what, is, what is that, that, they, that I say, oh, that wasn't such a big deal, rather than, and why does it take a therapist to say, well, actually, I think bad things happen to you, when people usually say, oh, no, I had a good child, you know, they hit me and they yelled at me and they weren't home, but it wasn't a big deal. Why don't we just say, hey, I've got trauma and here's what it was? Well, there's a couple of uh, things I could say about that, Robin. One of the only defenses an infant or child has is to numb themselves or dissociate from their feelings. 
And and does that mean kind of disappear into fantasy? Is that what it means? That means it could be disappearing into fantasy. It could be just pushing away feelings so that they are not conscious, that there's almost like a wall between the person and their feelings. And so they are not even aware of how uncomfortable. It's almost like if you've ever had a toothache or a stomach ache, and you're so used to it after a while, you don't realize until the tooth comes out how painful it was. And that's kind of the same thing. Well, it also doesn't happen all at once like a toothache. It can be a little bit and a little bit more. I mean, even a toothache, it's yeah. a little bit and a little bit more until you finally realize that I can't, this hurts too much. That's but it. in the beginning, it might just be annoying or a little pinprick. And I think that's also what you're saying is that you're, as you get older, the way you respond to life and the problems you have are causing more and more and more pain. Yeah. And also to add to that, we're wired to need, want, yearn for this attachment with our primary caregivers. Mm -hmm. And so there's this unconscious way that, you know, especially in early, you know, infancy and early childhood, we don't blame the parents. Kids are wired. They end up blaming themselves. If I was better, if I was more lovable, I deserve this. I did something bad, right? And and all of that is this way that we're wired in order to protect our attachment relationship with the primary caregivers. So we don't say it's their fault they hurt me. We say, what's wrong with me that exactly. they needed to hit me? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So I, I do have a bunch of questions. I mean, so many questions. I cannot tell you how many people call in, write, listen to the podcast, whatever, and they say things like, I don't understand all these treatments for trauma. I mean, there's this EMDR thing and, you know, they're trying to figure out what it is and how they can get help. And they go to some people and they want to talk and they go to other therapists and they want them to throw uh, throw rocks and there are other people. You know, how would you know, you know, and these letters, EMDR and DBT and MOUSA, I mean, how do you know what to look for, where to look and what's helpful if you got, if you're just out there and you're in pain? I'll start this and then Joanne, um, <laughs> we always partner up, you see. But uh, I think what we have found is what you're really looking for, what, what seems to most help clients through is the relational experience with the therapist and an integrated therapy style. We, we call it bottom up and top down. You're building into the knowingness through the body, through the physiology, through the neurobiology, through the somatic system, through the feelings, and through the mind. And so we're really working to help with this integration uh, versus one or the other. And that's really what you're saying is that we don't say, oh, we do this or we do that. I think what you're saying is that we, we are experts who handle the larger issues and we use whatever technique we think will be the most helpful for that person. Definitely. And I, I, I think, too, that part of that integration, it's not just the types of therapy that we do, but it's seeing everything through the trauma lens. We look at all of the symptoms as protective strategies. We even look at things like depression 
anxiety, addiction, that those are actually strategies that were helping the person get through life in some way, keeping them away from the tremendous amount of pain that they're in. So I think that's really important in working with trauma to find someone that really is going to see everything through that trauma-focused lens. And I hear you that you want somebody who just doesn't say, I work with trauma. But what they're saying is, I'm going to look at your at all of you, the way you act, the way you feel, and we're going to figure out what it is that comes from the past, how we improve that so that you can live a healthier life. I get that. A lot of clients that I work with will say, you know, that was so long ago. And, you know, actually, I don't even remember what happened to me before I was five, let's say. So if I don't even remember that, you know, at all, and certainly at two or three, it's very hard for us to remember our brain advances. And that part kind of gets cut off when we get a little bit older. So, I mean, how do you help someone understand that they're struggling with things that they don't remember? Well, I don't think they need to remember. I mean, we can look at what they are experiencing today, what they are expecting today from relationships, from people, how do they treat themselves today? How do they allow other people to treat them? We can look at all of that and we can pretty much understand what happened early on. So they don't have to remember. We can work in the present moment and usually it will lead us back to the past, but we can work totally in the present moment to deal with the pain and the expectation, the the numbness they may be feeling or the anxiety they may be feeling. Um, We can look at what's going on right now and work with that. So I I have a question for you, Lynn, which, uh, you know, maybe Joanne can answer. I'm not sure, but most people in my experience avoid pain. (laughs) you know, not in the obvious ways. I don't want someone to hit me. I don't want someone to hit my car, you know, whatever that is. But, you know, it's often for the the case, for example, with addicts, that it takes profound pain for them to get to the point where they'll choose to change what they're doing. You know, it's a loss of a relationship or enough losses of a job or, you know, like we say, in order for people to make changes, they have to unfortunately really have that motivation. And for many people, it's discomfort. What you're talking about is bringing people toward pain and using that past pain to be explored, to be worked through, to, but who wants to look at pain? I mean, who wants to, I mean, maybe I can stop the addiction. I've learned to have a better relationship. Why would I want to go back and feel and look at all that? Great question, Rob. And I think part of it is that we also do a lot in our treatment with resource building. So uh, we use this phrase, the window of tolerance. And as you expand the window, it opens on both sides. And so we work with our clients to help them develop the neural pathways of being able to find some joy inside and outside to find some happiness, to find some images of protection and nurturing and listening to music, a lot of different ways that will work to help clients build internal resources of ways to find some relief from pain. As the window of tolerance grows, you're able to tolerate pain in a different way because you're finding it through this adult consciousness 
and with the support of a therapist who has that relational connection with you, a different sense of safety. And so you're, you're like experiencing the pain, whether it's in the moment or in the past, not alone. You're experiencing it with a caring other and with some resources to help you develop a greater tolerance, a greater capacity for tolerating that pain while you work with it to achieve some kind of integration. Usually the pain comes from an experience that hasn't been, maybe it hasn't been processed fully, or I mean, there is just some pain. Relationship breakups is just pain right? And sometimes we need to go experience or talk through or work through, but it's different when you have the uh, relational other there. Sorry, I kind of went. No, no, but I think, you know, part of it. So I recently had, fortunately had a dear friend pass away and I, I did a lot of weeping, a lot of sadness, you know, which I think was very healthy. I'm grateful to have the mental health and ability to to deeply hurt about someone that I loved. But I felt like when I was in that pain that I wasn't just experiencing the pain of the loss of this person. I felt like in a bigger way, I was experiencing the loss of my mom, the loss of my friend, the loss of my dog, like almost like the feelings had no time, that the feelings just existed as they were. And I wonder if, and I'm just making this up, that when people are opening up with pain or hurt from the present, that that also gives you a window to look at the past. Definitely, Rob. Whenever we are dealing with pain, um, even when we're dealing with positive emotions, our brain is referencing what we have already experienced. So whenever we have loss, it's going to bring up all the losses we've had in the past. And for those people that have not been able to, as you, as you say, cry, let themselves grieve, let themselves feel it, it becomes even more problematic because it's been stored and buried and pushed down and never processed. So it all comes surging up in a way that puts it right up in front and makes it, and it can feel overwhelming. So in the therapy that we do, we also use something called titration so that we can deal with little bits of it at a time as the window of tolerance is increasing as to not overwhelm or flood the client with too much pain. And you're also building them up, right? Uh, Lynn costed about resources. Yes, And I, you know, when I think about the kind of early trauma that you're talking about, I think of shame and living a shame-based life. But to me, the opposite of, of uh, shame is self-esteem, that I expect the world will treat me well. I feel like I'm worthwhile and people will be nice to me. I make mistakes, but I don't hate myself for them. I know that I can learn from them. And what I think you're saying is this shift in hating myself to accepting and being curious is what allows the issues to come up and to look at them without being overwhelmed. Yeah, being able to look at that experience from a from a whole person viewpoint, you know, to feel like, oh, oh gosh, when I think about the loss of my father, I, I can feel the heaviness in my chest. I can feel the sorrow, you know, the feelings of sadness comes up and the thoughts of missing him come up. And at the same time, I can also bring up the love for my father. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, I want to say something briefly about that is that I know for many of my clients and for me too in the past, I thought that the resolution of, let's say, the trauma with my family was to get as far away from them as I could and not engage them anymore. And then I think as I aged, I began to realize that running away from the people who hurt me wasn't really the answer because they're still taking up rent-free space in my head. Sure. Yes, of course. Right. Holding that anger or the pain or the resentments. Also, you'll see, you know, if you look at our book and our intergenerational trauma workbook, sometimes we even develop compassion for the trauma our parents went through Mm -hmm. and the experiences that their parents went through and how things get passed on in the generations, culturally, historically, And, you know, through the behaviors, through the spoken, through the unspoken messages, sometimes even though we still hold some anger, we also can develop some compassion and understanding for what they went through, why they acted the way they acted. And oftentimes they've all done the best they can and they think they're doing better than their parents. Yes. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. I really want to get to the book in just a moment because I I have some really important questions for you guys. But I'm just wondering, you know, I work with people who, let's say they had alcoholic parents who were pretty severely troubled with their alcoholism. And they say something like, I'm never going to marry an alcoholic. I'm never going to marry someone like who's an alcoholic, who drinks. I don't ever want to put myself in that situation again. And I'm determined to make sure that doesn't happen. And yet somehow they seem to end up I don't know if you call it an opposite situation, or they end up with the very thing that they said they didn't want in some way. And you talk about intergenerational. So I've seen people say, I will never drink again, and they never drink again, because they don't want to experience what they grew up with. But what I don't understand is how do they end up making such a mess or being involved with the wrong people when what they say and believe is, I never want to be in that situation again. How does that happen? Well, I think it's what we were talking about earlier, Rob, the very, very earliest relationship with our caregiver sets a blueprint that's ingrained in our brain, in our neural networks of what we are going to expect in relationships and how we feel about others, what we feel is love, what we expect in the world. And so we can vow that we are never going to end up in that situation, but we are actually drawn and comforted often by the feelings, the energy that feels like home. So if home was dysfunctional, without doing our work, chances are we will end up in dysfunctional relationships that do feel like home. So what you're really saying is it doesn't matter how hard I try consciously, there are things that 
I am drawn to, or I am distracted by, or that are comfortable to me that, that leave me unable to follow my, the decisions that I've made in my head. Yeah. There's this unconscious way, which often we, we end up meshing with people. I, I picture it almost like bike gears, how they mesh together. We unconsciously match with someone who has these attributes similar to our own dysfunctional families. And it's happening at an unconscious level, you know, and often when you end up finding couples where one is has sort of a personality disorder issues, you may not even be able to, you know, actually see that initially, because people do put on a facade, they do put on their best behavior. So sometimes you end up engaged with someone that you don't realize has these attributes. And at other times, our own inability to be conscious of things prohibits us from realizing that we've just walked into that trap. Great. You walked into it again. I know a little bit about the center. Actually, it's funny because the center you folks opened is is very close to seeking integrity where we can throw rocks at each other compared to where our offices are. But one, but what you named your treatment program was trauma and beyond. And, you know, I, I guess I want to understand what what lies beyond. Is it just, is moving beyond trauma simply about getting a life to be kind of normal or is there something beyond, literally beyond the trauma and a day-to-day life that you can get from this kind of work? Well, one of the things, uh, one of the meanings of the beyond in our name is that we do want people to go beyond into a new experience, a new life. One of the things that trauma does is it really constricts the uh, capacity to feel all of our feelings, to experience the fullness of life, to experience the fullness of connection. So with uh, treatment, we're hoping to bring people into a new relationship with themselves, with the world, and a new sense of aliveness and joy in living. So you're talking about things that people have never experienced. Exactly. I want to go into the workbook that you wrote, uh, that you wrote, the Intergenerational Trauma Workbook, Strategies to Support Your Journey of Discovery, Growth, and Healing. I guess my first question is, I'm sitting at home, and I've got your book, and I'm working on it. But one of the things that I think you both have said in, in different ways is that you heal in relationship to other people. You heal in a group. You heal with the trust that you have in a therapist. So let's say I don't have the resources or the money, for example, or the insurance to go see a therapist. And I have all of this trauma. And, you know, I don't have, I'm not an AA, so I don't have this like large group of people who are supporting me. How do I work through this? How does the book help me work through this without that kind of support? So the the way we design the workbook is that we present a little bit of information, like some psychoeducation on a certain area about trauma and intergenerational trauma. And then we ask the reader to think about how that applies to themselves. And so it's really helping individuals create this curiosity, but sort of a guided curiosity like a therapist might do. Like a roadmap. A roadmap of how to reflect about themselves and imagine and kind of think about things that maybe they haven't thought about before. Um, So we have writing exercises, then we have some relaxation exercises as it goes through chapter by chapter. 
There will be some people who really will want the support of a therapist because it can be triggering. Or they're overwhelmed and want to talk to someone who can help them calm down kind of thing. Yeah. Others might just add the workbook into their own, you know, self-help kind of process. And Mm -hmm. as you said, those who don't want to do therapy or can't afford therapy, it is a wonderful sort of introduction and guidance into this exploration about themselves and how they became who they became and what's their voice and what's their, you know, mother's voice or father's voice or older brother's voice or what comes from their peers. You know, if somebody was bullied, what are the voices of that? And we look at things like shame and mm. you know, all of all of what is underlying and, and grows from those experiences and how to uh, strategies to help with the healing. Well, then that leads me to my other question about the book, which is you use the word intergenerational. And while I understand we've talked a lot about how, you know, an early abusive or neglectful or problematic relationship kind of teaches you some of the challenges that we have in adult life, but intergenerational to me implies not just the past, but the future. So how does doing this kind of trauma work and moving beyond it affect not just how I look at the past, but how I might raise my children, for example? Well, I think that it is such an important point you bring up, Rob, because if we do have unprocessed, unresolved trauma, we will unknowingly and unwittingly pass it on to our children. The way that I feel about myself and the world is going to affect the way that I parent. And so by doing my own healing, I am also healing my children. And that's the good news for parents, because a lot of times when parents start finding out about how parenting affects children from birth, they can really start punishing themselves or shaming themselves. But the good news is that as we heal, our children heal. We all heal, as you said earlier, and Lynn said, in relationship to others. So the healing really does promote healing in their children as well. This is fascinating to me, as all of your work is, and I just wanted to say one more thing about that, which is one of the things I see in the men that we work with, and this is an example of what you're talking about, I think, is that as I work with men who are addicted, um, they will realize that they have not been, they've been neglecting themselves, that they are working 80 hours a week, that they are, you know, constantly meeting the needs of others or focused on other things. And my experience is that when they start to get in touch with what they need and how they've abandoned themselves, they will often turn to their children and say, I need to be around more. I need to to be with them more. I need to talk to them more. I need to give more to them because now I'm aware of what I needed. Is that some of the intergenerational piece with your kids that we're talking about? Absolutely. A hundred percent. As people begin to do this work and understand how they've been neglected or traumatized and then how they're neglecting themselves and therefore neglecting their children, then there's that opportunity that we talk about in recovery, that living amends. You know, not only can you, not only most important, 
really important is to acknowledge, hey, I just realized I haven't been here for you because that's something that rarely happened in in our childhood, that repair, that, wow, I'm so sorry that I failed to be there for you or I'm so sorry that I yelled at you and I repeated my family experiences. So that rupture and then repair. And that's something that's so important as we learn how to make those repairs. And then, right, that opportunity to do it different, to show our children the way we want to be parenting them, the way we wish we were parented. And in that opportunity, there's so much healing, both in internal and in the relationship. You know, I think about now the clients with whom I've made a mistake that I've said the wrong thing or I did the wrong thing and I left them feeling badly. And I might turn to them and say, you know, I am so sorry. I didn't do that right. I wish I'd done it a different way. And they'll burst into tears and they'll say, you know, I grew up in a family where no one ever said to me they were sorry, where no one ever said to me that they had done something wrong. It was always my fault. And so what you're talking about is a shift in, in relationship that makes them begin to believe that they're worthwhile and that what happened to them does leave them with deficits. And it can happen in the therapy in ways like that. Absolutely. Yes. And it's such a perfect opportunity for the therapist to be able to have that humanness and to be authentic Mm -hmm. and to even role model, you know, how you make those repairs and that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Right. Even I make mistakes. You make mistakes. That's being human. We all make mistakes and we get to acknowledge them and repair them. Folks, I want to just introduce my guests again. This is Dr. Joanne Barron and Dr. Friedman Gell, and they have written a book called Intergenerational Trauma. It's a workbook that is focused on strategies to support your own journey of discovery, growth, and healing. I love this work, and I love that you made it a workbook because I think it's easier to, well, People will read half a book and put it down, but if they're involved in an active process, they're going to go from step to step to step. And I I really love that you did it that way. Let me ask you, you folks, um, if I were to, if someone wanted to find you and ask questions and learn more of the kinds of things that we're talking about, because so many people ask me, what is trauma? How does it affect me? How would they reach you? How could they get in touch? Well, Rob, they could either reach us through our website, which is traumaandbeyondcenter.com, or they can call us at 818-351-3511. We'd love to hear from. I'm so impressed. I don't think I've heard many therapists say, you call me if you need help. And I, I love that because it's another level of connection. So what would be an example of something that made you feel like, yes, I'm on the right track and I've really brought this person to the kind of healing I'm hoping for? Great question, Rob. And I I think that there's times when I have an experience with a client, maybe we've been working together for a little while and they come into the office and they have a brightness and an excitement Mm -hmm. and they're, they're thinking about ways they can expand and grow. And oftentimes they may uh, be able to even say how much they can feel my support, which sounds Mm. like a simple thing, except for the fact that they could never feel support before. Mm. And the fact that they're able to not only ask for the support, but to feel it. 
is such a gratifying moment to really feel that deep connection of our time together. So you feel like that person is not just coming alive by themselves, but they're coming alive in relationship. They're connecting to people. They're smiling at people. They're engaging them up, feeling more safe. And therapy can really do that. <laughs> just to piggyback on what Lynn said, uh, yes, I think therapy can totally do that. And I often think that sometimes I think of our role as reparenting in a way. Um, being that place, that safe place that someone can journey to that pain, those painful emotions that before now were just too scary to go to. But when we can do that together, it becomes just a little bit easier. And I think one of, one of my most gratifying moments, one client in particular that came to me just with so many issues. Uh, he was leaving his marriage and he was using drugs and he was just kind of a mess. And through our work together, we started first with getting him, you know, to, to do something about his addiction. He went into treatment, but he came back and we started doing the trauma work. And the work had to do with his inability to feel, and his avoidance of connection. So this connection that he really wanted, he was seeking through all these affairs instead of really being able to accept the unconditional love and support of his spouse. And what's really gratifying is today, after a few years of therapy, uh, he and his wife are redoing their vows after quite a while. And, and that just feels really, really satisfying to me. I want to end on that and thank both of you for joining me. And I really, really hope that you come back because we have endless questions about trauma and its effects and how do I heal and what do I do to go forward and what is the best method. And I have a feeling that you are a very meaningful and profound resource for those questions. Folks, I want to say again, this is Dr. Lynn Friedman-Gell and Dr. Joanne Barron. They have written a really amazing book called Intergenerational Trauma Workbook. I just want to thank you both, and I know we'll be at this again really soon. Thank you for having us, Rob. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Rob. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care. <laughs>